Lord, we do. We, uh, we praise you. And uh, even in a moment of just sanity here in worship, uh, if we don't feel like praising you, you call us to praise you, uh, to, to worship our hearts into that place. Uh, so would you do that now uh, as we open up your word? Um, would you take uh, your word and make it come alive? Uh, like when you created man and woman and you breathed into them. Uh, would you breathe into us now uh, through, your, through your scripture uh, and cause us to come alive uh, in new ways this morning. So we love you in your name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Well, I am uh, Dave Burden. I'm the pastor at the Creve Hall Congregation. Um, I think I've said this the last few times. We have baseball church this morning out in Creve Hall. Uh, so Creve Hall folks, those who gathered this morning, uh, say hello to y'all. Um, but good to be here this morning. Excited to open up the word for us. Um, we are wrapping up a series this morning that we have been in over the last um, Gosh, probably seven or so weeks, and we're about to start Advent, so uh, which is exciting. I don't know if uh, how many people have started decorating their house for Christmas already. Like, seems like there's a little more of a preemptive move this year. It's like, please, lights and happiness and snow globes and whatever else. So, anyhow, uh, if that's you, way to go. Uh, I've not started anything, but we've been in a series that we titled "Thy Kingdom Come." And we have been doing kind of a, a little bit of a tricky thing, but we've been taking the Ten Commandments and looking at the Ten Commandments, but how Jesus gets at the heart of those commandments and the application of those commandments in the New Testament through different teachings or different interactions. And why we have been doing that, why we, you know, we say thy kingdom come, it's because he's a king and he has a kingdom and he has a way that he wants and has called us to live as his people in relationship to him and relationship to one another. Why we did that is, is because we believe that that's true, that we're set apart as those who've been redeemed by the Lord to be priests in his kingdom. We're, we're saved to not just go to heaven. We're saved to be ambassadors and representatives of the king. In this world, one of the phrases I've latched onto in studying all this that someone shared was, uh, make the grace of the invisible king visible. That, that you and I literally, we're like billboards on the highway of life for everybody who's driving by. And we are billboards of God's grace, of his goodness, of his mercy. And he's saying, I want, I want to shine you out to the world around you as, as my priests to make the grace of the invisible king visible. So this last week, the final two that we're going to look up, we kind of mashed up uh, stealing and coveting. I think you'll see that uh, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet are kind of uh, cousins. One begets the other. Um, but we're going to look at those through a parable that Jesus teaches about a master and those working in his vineyard. Okay? All right. Sounds like an emergency outside. Y'all lighten up a little bit. It's like... Uh, all right, this is uh, Exodus 20, 15, and 17, and then Matthew 21 to 16. Maybe you'd laugh more if I was more funny. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. I'm kidding. 
the things that go on in the preacher's mind that you don't know about. <laughs> Exodus twenty fifteen. You shall not steal. Okay? Exodus twenty seventeen. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then from Matthew 21 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is God's word. All right, well, here we go. Three things, uh, if you're the note-taking type, that everything will kind of fall under these headers. Uh, the first one is workers wanting more, okay? The second one is grumbling against the master's grace. And then the third is just, I'm hoping we can just have a brief, I would call it a conversation that's gonna be just me talking with you about, uh, are you hired hands or are you master's kids, okay? Workers wanting more, grumbling against the master's grace, and then hired hands or master's kids, okay? Workers wanting more. So let's start, with the, um, let's start with the commandment. Why do we steal? Everybody's starting to feel nervous that I'm gonna ask you to tell a story about when you got caught stealing. Um, anybody got a good story? I'm kidding. Uh, why do we steal and what is coveting or what is envy? And what's at the heart of it? Well, um, stealing, I don't think this is going to be lost on anybody who's like, well, I wonder 
what he, how he's going to define this. Uh, stealing is the fruit, I would just say this to start us, of unchecked coveting. Stealing is the fruit, it's the action, the justified, self-justified action of unchecked coveting, of unchecked envy. Because to steal something is to take something that isn't yours, does not belong to you, but I feel justified in taking it. And I'm telling you that that's a result of a, a, a thing in our heart called unchecked coveting and unchecked envy, right? A lot of commentators would say, like we said at the beginning of this whole thing, you don't break commandments two through nine without breaking commandment one, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When the Lord's in the right position, you don't break the rest of these things. Well, a lot of people would say that this command, the end one, the covenant command, is actually a summary statement pointing back up. That it's saying that all of these things, like stealing and murder and adultery, they're all the fruit of covetousness. It begins with your heart and it ends with your heart, right? And that, that heart posture, that interior heart posture of envy leads to these other things, right? Just go, if you want to study a case study in this, go look at David and Bathsheba and Uriah in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, right? What did David do? It was a time for the kings to go to war and he stays at home and he's hanging out on his palace rooftop and what does he see? He sees another man's wife, right? And he covets her. And eventually he has adultery with her. And then he has her husband killed, right? You see how it works? Covetousness leads to all of these other actions because at the heart of envy, it's, it's not that the desire for certain things is bad, it's an over-desire things. It's desire gone mad is what it is. When I envy something, I I actually get to this place is I want something bad enough and I should have it. And I should have it how I want to have it. I feel entitled to it, right? And so why we covet and why we steal is, is, is twofold. It's because First off, we have come to believe something about ourselves. We've come to believe something about ourselves, and it's this. It can be summed up in the word scarcity, right? But ultimately, I don't have what I need, right? I don't have what I need. I don't have what I desire. I need or I want more. So it's something I believe about myself is that I don't, I lack, And secondly, it's something I come to believe about God, and it's this, that he's stingy. But that's the heart of the master, is that he's stingy, that you, master, and we'll see it as we study this story here in a second, you haven't given me what I need. You haven't given me what I deserve, right? They grumble against the landowner. Envy and we'll see this as we kind of unpack the story. Envy is, is not simply wanting what you don't have. That's part of it. When I envy someone or something, I want what I don't have. But it's also this, I simultaneously, I don't want what I do have. That's the double-edged sword of it. That's where it cuts most deeply. It's not just I want what you have or what I don't have. It's I don't want what I have. 
I'm unable to enjoy or to find pleasure or any sort of satisfaction in what the Lord has given me. I want something else. You know? We'll see this in the story as we look at it in a minute. They, they got their agreed-upon wage, which when we learn about these workers, you'd realize that was a big deal just to get hired and to have a day's work. Hooray! And all of a sudden, by the end of the story, it's not enough. I want more, and I don't even want what I do have, right? Proverbs, if you want to study about envy, I'm not going to say... I'll say a little bit more about envy because I've studied my own heart so much. I'm really good at envy, by the way, all right? Proverbs says this, that envy crushes the spirit. Literally like a, what do you call that thing that you, you make guacamole with? A pestle? Yeah, yes. I should know this. I'm the one speaking right now. Yeah, literally it crushes your spirit, Right? Like when, when you've heard this term up here many times, comparison is the thief of joy. It crushes joy. Proverbs says that envy rots the bones. Envy destroys. Envy always overpromises and always underdelivers because when I envy, I'm living in my imagination about something, right? And when I live in my imagination about something, even when I get that thing, it's not what it really is. It's what I've imagined it to be, right? I can only see the benefits of it. I can never see the limitations like David and Bathsheba. So y'all probably all know that, right? Like some of you probably sitting there like, yeah, okay, I get it. That's how envy works. I've been there. Well, if we know that, why do we do it so much? Like, why do you, or why do I spend so much of my life struggling with, or maybe not struggling with, just headlong in envy? And in, in wanting something other than what I have and not wanting what I do have. Well, I think why we do it so much, I'm going to let us off the hook here. Everybody's like, oh, geez. Happy Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? Envy and stealing are in our DNA. Like, just here, here, like, I wrote a thing. I envy finance, like, financial peace and money people have. I envy success that people have. I envy people's looks. I don't like how I look. And I'm on camera. I envy people's gifts and abilities. I envy people's intellect. Like, I don't know how many of you have listened to a Tim Keller sermon. Don't raise your hands. Kidding. I have, and guess what? Every time I listen to one, I think, if that's preaching, then I guess I've never preached before, right? Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't have his mind. I don't have his gifts. I don't have his abilities. But guess what? I, 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 I have such a hard time stopping doing this because it's in the DNA of my flesh. It's the fruit of the fall, right? Of the fall of mankind. Like I wrote down, this is all about a vineyard. I wrote down us in gardens, trouble. 
Anytime you see us in a garden in the Bible, it's probably getting at that original garden, right? It's in our DNA. In Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, right? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What's the command there? Don't steal from this tree. Don't take from it, right? Why? Because you're going to die. It will certainly go bad for you. I'm telling you this for your good because that's my heart. It's for your good because that's the kind of master I am. I'm not withholding from you. I'm not not cheating you. You're not scarce. You don't lack right now. One chapter later, what do we find in Genesis 3? Satan tempts them with the notion of what? God is holding out on you. God is stingy, right? And he tempted them to covet. He tempted them to want more than what they already had and not want what they did have. And he promised them one thing in there, you'll be like God. And what's that promise? That's the promise of I'm not a hired hand anymore. I'm not even a kid. I am the master, right? Being with him, being with God wasn't good enough for them. Suddenly they wanted to be his equal. They wanted to be in charge. Like think about this for a second. When, when, when God questions Adam and Eve and asks them about it, she says this or he says this, they both said it. He didn't say much because he was lame, letting his wife take the fall, Right? She said, I saw it was good for food. Look around. You've got all the food you need. It was pleasing to the eye. You're in the Garden of Eden. Of course it's pleasing. Look around. Everything's pleasing to the eye. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. You're with God. The one who spoke this into existence. If you have a question... You can just ask him, right? You're with him. But it wasn't enough. They didn't want to be with him. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to be his equal. They wanted to be the master. So workers wanting more, just to let let us off the hook a little bit and invite us into the wrestling match, really, uh, it's his oldest time. We're going to struggle with envy. We're going to struggle with coveting, right? So let's talk about uh, in this story how we see that play itself out. Grumbling against the master's grace, right? Because there's a punchline to this parable. I was studying this this week and someone said that parables are like jokes that nobody gets. (laughs) I thought that was actually pretty clever. That, That parables are jokes that Jesus tells and everybody's like, huh? Right? Because usually they're in the punchline somewhere. The joke that no one gets is this. At the end of the day of work, he gives everybody the same thing. (laughs) Ha! Right? Except no one's laughing. Maybe, Maybe the guys at the 11th hour who are already like 
sprinting back to their house like, I worked an hour and I got a whole day's wage, right? He gives everybody the same thing no matter how long they worked. Now, at the beginning of this parable, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Whenever you see the word for there, you need to go back and read what was right before that because he's just in the middle of a dialogue. And I want to give you a little bit of context for this parable because it matters, all right? And the context was this. Jesus is teaching this parable on the heels of his interaction with the rich young ruler. And if you remember about that story, if you know anything about that story and the rich young ruler, this guy who was pretty high on himself, pretty high on his ability to keep the law, pretty high on like, I've done it, right? Comes to Jesus and basically asks, what do I got to do to basically get salvation? Get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus throws out some of the Ten Commandments. Basically says, do this, do this, do this. And he goes, yep, check, 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 right? Done it. And so Jesus, to get at his heart, says, okay, great. Go and sell everything you have. Give all your possessions to the poor and come and follow me. Right? He had kind of checked the boxes of the Ten Commandments, but Jesus was going after his heart. And what he found in questioning him was he found the threshold. The threshold of what he was unwilling to do. Not what he was willing to do, what he couldn't do. Right? He couldn't sell everything. And so he went away sad, it says. We don't know necessarily what happened. I love to believe that he came back, but who knows, right? He went away sad because he he got to the point where he realized, that's something I can't do. And so it leads to this conversation with the disciples right after that, where Peter basically listened to this guy like peddle his resume of perfectionism before Jesus and then still go away sad because Jesus gave him something to do he couldn't do. And Peter is, he's, you kind of see this in the disciples, they basically say like, well, who can get in? If that guy can't get in, who can get in, right? And Jesus says this, it is only with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only with great difficulty. You've maybe heard it said, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? It's really difficult for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven, And Peter, his response to that is this. He goes, great, I'm not rich. I've left everything. We have left everything for you, right? And we're following you. And what we see in that moment is Peter maybe wasn't monetarily rich, but he was resting in this moment, in his merit, in his ability to make a sacrifice, he was rich in his pride of what he had done. And he was resting in that moment in the fact of, okay, I can get into the kingdom because I've left everything, right? I'm going to get in based on me. Rich young ruler, Peter, okay, okay, I've done it. And then this parable, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus takes his disciples into this teaching and he's saying something. I know it gets titled in many of our Bibles, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is not about the workers. It is, but it's, it's mostly about the king and his kingdom. And he's saying this, Peter, brother, I love you. (laughs) 
Let me tell you something. Let me give you a little window into how I run my operation, right? Because it's a little different. It's quite different than how the world works. It's a, as I say in verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last sort of scenario, which is a confusing statement, isn't it? I mean, if you read that parable and followed along with me, there should be a part of you as a good Western American person who's like, this isn't how it works, right? And Jesus is saying, let me show you how I run things. Because I don't, I don't make decisions based on you. I don't make decisions based on your character. I don't make decisions based on your effort or your ability. I make decisions about what I'm going to do based on me, based on my nature, based on my character, based on my heart, based on my goodness. And you, you getting in to the vineyard, you getting into my kingdom, it's all based on me, baby. All on me. Let's read here. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, we read stuff like that, and it's real easy to just be like, okay, you know, this is just kind of the, the ramp up to the real meat of the story. It's not. A landowner who went out. Been haunted by this this week. He goes out five different times to bring workers in. It seems really subtle, but I would argue with you, it's probably the biggest main point of the entire parable is this, that the only way that these workers are going to get into his vineyard is going to be on his initiative. It's going to all be an act of his grace, his pursuit. I'm going to come find you wherever you're at, and I'm going to bring you in. And this, it's all mine anyways. That's me. That's the heart of the master. That's the heart of the king. Because he went out, you know, it says there to hire these workers. He agrees them to, to pay the first crew a denarius for the day, and then he goes out at nine, and then he goes out at noon, and he goes out at three, and then he goes out at five. And of course, biblical commentators have loved to speculate about like, maybe he just had a huge vineyard and he needed a ton of work done and all this stuff. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is what is the master doing, which is, is he keeps going back to the marketplace to bring more people in. And these people, these, we do know this. They would have been day laborers, right? Probably nobody in this room is a day laborer where you literally go stand somewhere and someone drives their vehicle or their donkey cart or whatever they were doing back then, right? And comes and says, hey, I need you for 12 hours. Will you come work in my vineyard? And you do that and you're not like signing up, you know, for health insurance and, you know, an HSA with this person. Like you're just literally getting money at the end of the day and then you're taking that money and on your way home, you're going to buy like fish and grain and all this stuff so you can make your dinner that night. And then you wake up the next morning and you hope someone picks you again, right? So those guys who got hired first off, they would have been high-fiving, yes, I'm not going to go home and have to explain to my wife why I didn't get any work today, which would have been utter humiliation. I don't have to go home and look at my kids because they'd be hungry today. 
and I have no food to eat tonight, and I say, hey, I hope dad gets hired tomorrow, right? So th these guys would have been stoked for a 12-hour day of work, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the guys who were there, you know, nine, and then noon, and three, five, have you guys, anybody ever been picked last for kickball? I never was, because I was great at it. I'm kidding. <laughs> but seriously, I was good. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course everybody's been picked last for something. It feels horrible, right? Like, you're like, uh, they're like looking past you, like, fine, Dave, come on, you can join the team, right? You kick last. I mean, that's effectively what's going on, is that at each way station in the day, these guys are literally standing there going, I mean, have you ever, you ever done that where you're like, planning out the conversation to explain why you didn't get any work today. Like, this is what they were facing. And the master keeps going back. Not because he necessarily had to have them to get all the work done, but because he cared about them. So the first group agrees to this denarius, which was a day's wage. Fantastic goes and gathers more and he says, I'll pay you what's right, right? They don't kind of haggle over the money at this point. And really at the heart of that, he's saying, um, I'll give you what's right and here's what's right. I decide what's right, right? If I want to give the one who's hired last the same as I gave you, I want to do that. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? He's saying, it's completely my right to do this. And guess what? What's right in my eyes is to be gracious. What's right in my eyes is to be generous. What's right in my eyes is to work on a completely different economy. And yeah, you only worked an hour, and yeah, you worked 12, but guess what? This is the heart of the master. It's mine to do what I want with, and this is what I want to do. And so everyone gets the same amount. Now the workers who I can relate to, what do they do? It's not fair, right? When they came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Somehow in that window of time, <laughs> from I got a day's work to pay time, this grateful, thankful, pumped heart has gone to this grumbling, angry, frustrated, entitled heart. Grumbling against the grace of the master. You, you took us and you made us equal and we're not equal, right? We're the ones who bore the burden. We're the ones who worked harder. We deserve more. And guess what? Remember, what's this a parable about? The kingdom of heaven. That, what I just described, we bore the burden. We worked harder. We deserve more. That's the kingdom of the world. That's the way the world works. That's how the world operates. In the world, you get what you deserve and you only reap what you sow. And so they had gone from unemployed and penniless and just happy for the work to judging the master's math, right? and how he gets to use his money. And guess what? I do it every day. 
if I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm like, this is me, right? I can go from grateful and thankful for my life and the things that I've been given and literally like a fish getting hooked, <laughs> right? I can go to ungrateful and envious like that, especially when I see people get what I believe I deserve or get something I believe they don't deserve, right? I, I, am, I am the consummate elder brother, like in the prodigal, who I, I just want to be honored for my hard work, right? Like he said to his father, all these years I slaved for you and I never disobeyed you, right? And you didn't even give me a calf. He wasn't slaving for the master. He was slaving for him. And even in the midst of that, right, in the midst of that grumbling heart, this ungrateful to even be hired for a day, which they all were grateful at the beginning of the day, remember? The king speaks graciously to them, right? The king's gracious. He says to them, I, I want to give the one who's hired the last the same as you. I have the right to do this. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Again, really small words in the Bible, but they're really important. Friend, you hear what he's saying there? He's saying you're, you're not a hired hand. <laughs> I, I, I've taken you who was out in the marketplace and had no hope, who, who didn't deserve to get hired. Let, let's just go to us now for a second because I'm about to go to the last point. The wages that you and I deserve, Scripture says, the wages that we deserve for our work is sin and death. That's what Romans says. That's what you deserve and I deserve, right? And yet, what are the wages we get? We get Christ's righteousness. We get made sons and daughters. We get brought in. We're not just hired hands anymore. We're family. He makes friends out of total strangers, right? Because he's the master that goes out, right? He doesn't just send somebody else out to do his work. He goes out personally to secure eternal life for us in the vineyard. So are you a hired hand or are you a master's kid? Hired hands, let me tell you, when I'm living like a hired hand, because I can and I do, my life is marked by envy. My life is marked by self-focus. My life is marked by me feeling like I deserve more than this. I expect more than this. And a good question I would encourage you to sit with as you head into Thanksgiving, right, I'm talking about manufacturing some kind of like fake happiness. I'm talking about literally meditating on the goodness of the Lord to you. Would you ask yourself this question, where is envy rotting your bones? Where is envy robbing you? Because guess what? 
Uh, envy just doesn't lead you to steal. You know, it can. Coveting can lead you to steal something that's not your own. But envy steals, right? Envy steals joy. It robs me from the joy of, of, of loving and being thankful and grateful for what I do have, right? Joy and gratitude and thanks, like these workers who were hired first, who at the end of the day, if they really were seeing with clear eyes the heart of the master, they would be like, thank you for coming and bringing us in. Thank you, right? So where is envy rotting or robbing you? A next layer question for that for you would be this. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, that I saw all the toil and achievement that spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. Sometimes envy is just sitting around and thinking about how much I want something I don't have. But for a lot of people, I would say a lot of people in, in this sphere, uh, envy looks like overwork. Like it doesn't look like just sitting there and kind of grinding on what you don't have. It's I'm out there grinding, right? I'm toiling and trying to achieve because envy is what's driving that. So maybe that's you. Maybe it's not you're just sitting around envying. You're, you're too busy, so busy, running hard, not because God's called you to do that, but because you want someone else's life, not the life you have. And the Lord's saying, set it down. Come rest in me, not rest in what you think you're going to get. So are you a hired hand or are you a master's kid, right? Because the remedy, the remedy for this envy, the remedy for this kind of envy that steals our joy is we have to look at the master, right? That's what he's trying to do at the end of this parable. He's saying, don't you see me? If I want to do this, I'm this generous, Right? You agree to this. You're my, I, I agree to pay you this, friend. Now go. Be grateful. Be thankful. Right? I've brought you into the vineyard. I've given you work. I've provided for your wages. And that's all an act of grace. Focus on what you've been given, not what you earned. The fruit of that, when that happens, I'm going to read this section in John 15 and then I'll close. The fruit of that is we actually, we start living as master's kids and master's kids, they're generous, <laughs> right? They're generous because they know the grace that's been given to them, right? That's why John 15 says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Truth, right? You're loved by the God of the universe in the same way that God the Son was loved by God the Father. Now remain in my love, Focus on it. Don't focus on other things. Focus on that. Remain in it. How do you do that? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we don't do those, those things in order to get love. We do those things to remain in the love that we have, right? I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. <laughs> You don't lack anything. I, I'm telling you this because I want you to have everything you need for life and godliness, full joy. And what does he go on to say? Now this, go love people the same way that I loved you. When you remain in my love, 
When you stop living like a hired hand and you live like a master's kid, you start living like the master. And your life is not marked by envy, but empathy, right? Not by stealing, but supplying for people's needs. Because I, I don't live in scarcity anymore. I live in the vineyard of my father. All right? Let me pray for us uh, as we continue to worship and as we head into this week. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you um, that there actually is a remedy for this thing called coveting and envy. And Lord, uh, I confess, uh, I invite my friends to you as well, um, so much of my life can be marked by this. And yet, uh, as this parable shows us, um, we don't want to live in your generosity. We, we want to believe that what we have is because we did it and we worked for it. But we know right now, uh, in this moment, um, in this room under your word, that, that the deepest desires of our heart are something we couldn't do for ourselves. That it was something you had to do. And so thank you, Jesus, that you're this, this sort of landowner. You're this sort of master who goes out and brings us in. And Lord, would you produce in us uh, gratitude? Would we remain in your love this week? Uh, as we head maybe to see family or even we grieve not getting to see family, um, would your love be the thing uh, that we feast on and would you make us those who don't grumble against your grace or lose our joy because of the envy that steals it away, but we would be those who would feast deeply on the goodness of what you have done and you promised to do and will do. We love you. In your name, amen.